I have a strange question to ask. What would you say are the two most favorite words of a two-year-old? No. Mine. That's it. Mine. Now, why are those favorite words? Well, they're trying to figure out how much power they have. What is the, ra what is the range of their will? What can they get what they want? And how do they do that? And how do they negotiate that? Now, hopefully, we outgrow that stage. But uh, we all have some sphere of influence, okay? And we want to know what the extent of that is. We have what we call a, a personal uh, dominion, where what we want to get done gets done. And we all have this. God gave us this, you know, from, from Genesis. God created humanity and gave them dominion. Well, because that is part of the image of God. That's the point here, that God has a range where he, what he wants to get done gets done. And uh, he has a, a domain and has dominion. And he allows us to have some dominion as well. That's why the world looks like a war zone. All right, it is. But God has dominion. And when he wants something done and, and we participate with him, things get done. Lives get transformed. We just saw that. All right. Now, the Bible has a term for God's dominion. It's called the kingdom of God. Now, why kingdom? Well, we're in an Advent series, and we're talking about uh, some things, some names of God that we find in Isaiah 9. And it's all about, of course, the birth of the greatest king in all of history. And his kingdom is different than any in history. And uh, so let's take a look briefly at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. That's one amazing prophecy. I'm getting a bad echo here. That's an amazing prophecy that the day will come when what God wants done will finally permeate the entire world. All right? It's going to destroy all opposition restore creation back to what God intended from the get-go. And what we need to understand is that the kingdom of God doesn't have to wait for that. Kingdom of God is God at work. So it's everything he does between now and then. Now, this, this restoration is absolutely sweeping in scope, and it in, involves every aspect of uh, existence, 
There's a thousand details involved in this, involving many aspects of God's character. He, in fact, he, he wears a lot of hats, all right? That's why he has so many names, uh, because one name just doesn't capture it all. Last week, we talked about wonderful counselor and some of what that means. This week, we're going to talk about mighty God. All right, if we back up one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, mighty God. Let's, let's get the planets up there. Mighty God. How incredibly powerful. And his, his ability to establish his will throughout the earth. This is our hope. I mean, the world's a mess. But we have to be careful lest we miss the significance of this. Like I said, the, the kingdom doesn't have to wait. I grew up thinking the kingdom of God would never be realized until the final eschaton. You know, when Jesus comes back, uh, puts an end to everything that's wrong, and sets up his kingdom. I thought that was, that was the kingdom. That's all there was to it. But, but it's not just a future reality. Also, kingdom is not just a synonym for heaven. Sometimes we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and we think, okay, that's, that's heaven. We get there when we die. No. And some of us have, uh, have a tendency to equate the kingdom with doing the stuff. Okay? It's much bigger than that. In fact, it's kind of hard to wrap our brains around this. But we need to get, just like our domain, our dominion is part of who we are as a human being. Okay, I can, I, can, I can make things happen. I have some choices here about what I do. God has dominion, and it's just part of who he is. It's not a place. It's not a time. It's, it's an aspect of God. Where God moves, where he acts, where he gets done what he wants done, wherever he is exercising his will, that's kingdom. That's his dominion. One of the reasons this is important is to understand Jesus did not inaugurate the kingdom of God because it had always existed. God has always reigned. Kingdom's part of who he is. What Jesus did was make the kingdom of God available to each one of us and provide a way for us to walk into and live in the reign of God. Mighty God. See, all through Scripture, you know, we, we see God portrayed as all-powerful everywhere in the Bible. Uh, but, but this is, we're in the Advent season, and what we want to focus on today a little bit is how, how the kingdom dominates the story of the nativity. Now, we've already seen it in the Isaiah prophecy, that the government will rest on his shoulder, there'll be no end to his kingdom, well, let's bring this all the way down to when Gabriel talked to Mary. Gabriel says, And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you hear the echoes of Isaiah 9? 
there's so many parallels here. Gabriel says to Mary, you will bear a son. Isaiah says, a child will be born to us. Gabriel says, he will be great. Isaiah says, great will be his authority. And they both talk about the throne of David and, and the everlasting kingdom. You know, you have to wonder if Mary had heard these words before in synagogue. All right? Because they would read Isaiah from, uh, during, during the, the, the time that they were in synagogue. And so that she might have heard this echo, like I've heard this before. Gabriel's talking about the Messiah. All right, pretty wild. And as long as we're talking about names, uh, I want to be technical for a minute here. You know, when Paul, when Paul wrote uh, in Greek, and much of the Testament, New Testament ended up in Greek, uh, the, the, the word for Jesus that they used in the Greek is Jesus. All right, that's the Greek word, Jesus. And that's where we get the English equivalent, Jesus. Well, Gabriel didn't speak in Greek, all right? He was, use, he was using Aramaic and Hebrew, probably a mix. And when he, when he was talking to Mary, he used the Jewish form of Jesus. And it wasn't Jesus, it was Yeshua. Now, if we go directly from Hebrew, Yeshua, to English, bypass the Greek, Yeshua is Joshua. So Gabriel, in, to say in English, Gabriel says to Mary, you will name him Joshua. Now we miss that because we just read this in the, through the Greek. All right, let's take a look at this. Why, why Joshua? Well, first of all, there's a backstory for Joshua. And one of the big things Joshua did was he finished what Moses started. All right? He brought the people all the way into the promised land and helped them conquer the fortified cities, tear down those strongholds, and possess the land. Well, guess what? Jesus is going to finish what Moses started. All right? He's going to finish forming the people of God. He's going to lead them into the kingdom. And they're going to tear down strongholds that remain in here and possess the land. Now, there's another reason he was named Joshua. Because, because in the Hebrew, of course, this is Yeshua. And it's made of two parts, Yah-Shua. Yah is a name for God. Shua is salvation. God is salvation. His name literally means God is salvation. He's going to save the people of God. Now, when the angel came to Joseph, he, he added one more phrase. He says, clearly, he will, you are to name him Joshua, for he, please go back. You're going to name him Joshua, for he will save his people. Because that's literally what Joshua means. All right? Here, here's the thing. If you had asked 
anyone at the time to finish that sentence, they would have said, well, he will save his people from the Romans. Okay? But that's not what he said. He said, you will save, he will save his people from their sins. Not from the Romans. They're not the real problem. The real enemy is much bigger, much greater. And Jesus is coming to rescue his people from principalities and powers far greater than Rome, whose agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, this is why Mighty God is one of his names. We need a mighty God because we're weak. Our enemy is much bigger, much stronger than we are. And we can see this mission of Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Let's look at the next slide. Mighty God. You know, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you hear that echo? He shall save their people from their sins. John wrote in one of his letters, Jesus came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Paul said he disarmed the rulers and authorities. The writer of Hebrews tells us that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. See, the incarnation was an act of war. Mighty God. There's more. Paul talks about rescue and deliverance a lot. And one of the clearest passages he has about how this impacts every one of us is found in Colossians. Paul says, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's that kingdom language again. This is important because remember this language of kingdom and dominion and power, these things permeate scripture. And uh, the thing is when people are disconnected from God, they're not autonomous. There's no such thing as human autonomy. Our little kingdom is always subject to something bigger than us. So to be disconnected from God means being subject to a kingdom of darkness. And our mighty God is rescuing us from that domain and bringing us into a realm of life and goodness and love. Echo. He will save his people from their sins. And so we get to live under the reign of Almighty God. And he's bigger than whatever has come against us. He's bigger than whatever's in us <laughs> that's been corrupted. And it matters what kingdom we live under. And, and this is just, again, the beginning. There's a lot that 
the New Testament has to say about changing kingdoms. First of all, Jesus made it very clear that the kingdom has come. So the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is at hand. He told the disciples, spread the good news about the kingdom. The time is fulfilled. Paul tells us that because we live in a kingdom, we have access to his divine power to destroy strongholds. Remember, Joshua, Joshua, destroying strongholds. And he also tells us that sin, which has dominion in the, in the kingdom of darkness, sin will not have dominion over you because you now live in the kingdom of God. And the last two kind of sum this up, uh, that we would know, Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us. Amen. Mighty God, mighty God at work. He's, his kingdom is active. And Peter tells us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And, and, but this just keeps going on and on throughout the New Testament. Let's look at the next one. Paul keeps hammering this theme. Uh, if you ever wanted to know why we need a mighty God, here it is. By the power at work within us, he is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine. You know, when you're trapped in the kingdom of darkness, you can't imagine much. You don't have any hope. Uh, life looks pretty bleak. We can get depressed uh, and worse. We need a mighty God. So Jesus came to break that power of the enemy, to make the kingdom of God accessible to all of us. In fact, Jesus is the king of that kingdom. He has this kingdom. And he says to us, follow me. Come, come learn what it means for me to reign in your life instead of darkness. That's the gospel. That God has provided an answer to the problem of evil. So the kingdom of God is where our wounds get healed, where truth obliterates the lies that we believed about ourselves and about God and about life, where our hate and contempt and lust and rage can all get purged out of our body, our soul, and where instead love and compassion and care can become embedded in us. One more. Changing kingdoms. Titus. Now this is an amazing summary of the whole incarnation. I love this. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own. Hear the echo? He shall save his people from their sin. See, our mighty God is plundering the kingdom of darkness and transforming lives. I mean, look at some of the examples. Paul, look at the apostle Paul. You know, this is a guy who was bent on destroying the Christian church in its infancy. Let's, let's stamp this thing out before it gets started. 
Next thing you know, he's the greatest advocate on the planet. Changing kingdoms. Mighty God. Peter denied Jesus with cursing, vulgar swearing. Next thing you know, he's the rock and the pillar of the New Jerusalem of the Jerusalem church. Mighty God. John Newton, captain of a slave ship. About a about as bad a wretch as you could find. He wrote Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. Mighty God. Maybe you can identify. Maybe God's rescued you. You know. Forty years ago, I hated my life. I hated my own life. Today, I am incredibly grateful for the life I have. Mighty God. Mighty God. See, we need a mighty God because he's bigger than anything that can come against us and anything that's in us that's of darkness. Hope. Advent is a season of hope, and because of the advent of Christ, our mighty God has come to our rescue so we can live under his dominion, and sin and evil will no longer have dominion over our life. Our mighty God is greater than our greatest foes, no matter who they are, no matter what they are, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And whenever we lose hope, whenever our hope gets diminished, we can come to our mighty God, engage with him, and he can restore our soul and our hope and our peace. And at the other end, when we find ourselves in a place of blessing, we can rejoice in what our mighty God has done for us and his power at work in us in a very crazy world. Because of our mighty God, we get to live a very ordinary, extraordinary life. Mighty God. You have the worship team come back up. Let's pray. Lord God, you are mighty, and you have come for us. And you now live with us. You are in us and among us. Help us enlighten the eyes of our heart, Lord God, that we would be able to grasp how great and wide and deep this love is and your, how incredibly powerful your kingdom is to deliver us from all that, all that is wrong in our life, in us and around us, that it would no longer have the power to jerk us around and, and mess us up, 
above all that, we get to live with you, mighty God. What a, what a joy, what a privilege. Just pray that you'd restore our hope and our joy and our vision of how great you are. In Jesus' name.